0: I'm going to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And this is a passage that is in reference to what was happening at Calvary. It's appropriate, obviously, during this Lenten season as we are entering into this time. We've been talking about words that can change your life, seven of them, and I want to give you one of those today. Would you stand with me as we open this word together? Luke chapter 23, I think we're going to begin here with verse 32, and we'll read down through verse 49. Hear God's word for us this morning. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, They crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes, casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, "'Father, into your hands I commit my spirit.' And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, "'Surely this was a righteous man.' And all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place. They beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things and God in his blessing to that word please be seated you know when we come to this moment of Jesus's death as Christians we realize this is the crux of human history in a very real sense everything that has happened in history is leading up to this point If we take scripture seriously, even before God created the world, he knew about this moment. He knew that this moment had to happen because, you see, my sin and your sin was no surprise to him. He knew full well the results of creating the likes of you and me, and yet he thought that you and I were worth the cost. That's the truth. And so as I read this passage, one of the things that you have to be struck by is that God the Father is in absolute control here. He is orchestrating the events. There are no accidents here, and therefore I think we can assume that every part of this story has meaning and significance. You, you will notice that, that Luke tells us, for instance, that there are three crosses We glory in the one, but God gave us three. And I want us to think about, because I believe there is a message for us in each of those three. The scripture says that both criminals on either side of Jesus cursed him that day. But as the day moved along, one of them had his attitude change. The other did not. In fact, the one on the right, before the day was over, before our Lord died, was a different man completely. Now, why are these crosses here? What is the significance of the cross on the left? Well, I'm convinced that the man on the left is a beautiful illustration of just how close you could get to Christ and still miss him. How close was this man? Well, I don't pretend to know everything about Roman crucifixion, but I think it's reasonable to assume that they were about 10 or 12 feet apart, separating him and Jesus. In fact, the passage suggests that these men were close enough that they could hear each other's whispers. Able to hear, the indication is is they were quite close. Isn't it amazing that even though he had immediate proximity to the Savior, Even though before his very eyes, he was witnessing the salvation of the world. Even though he was just moments away from facing his own eternity, he began the day cursing Christ and he ended the day. He ended his life by cursing him too. This man shows us some very important truth. And it's this, you can be close to the cross and still far from Christ. Did you know that you could be a preacher and still miss him? You realize that there were religious leaders who were mocking him and jeering at him. There were theologians at the cross that day who joined with the politicians and the people to nail him to that tree. About seven years ago, a few of us from our church took a trip to Israel, and one of the most amazing parts of that trip was our visit to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is the the church that is said to have been built over the place of Calvary, the place where Jesus died. And uh, there is a rock there that is an indicator of where some believe that the cross was put into the ground. and And then near there, there is a place that is suggested to be where Jesus was buried and rose again. So if you think about it, if there was ever a holy place in Christendom, that has to be it. But do you realize, and this is always fascinating to me when you think about history and all that's involved, that there are six different branches of Christianity that jealously and sometimes even violently try to keep their turf in that place. It is an amazing kind of thing to witness. You have the Catholics, the Greek Orthodox, the Armenians, the Orthodox and Jacobites. And outside of the building, you have the Ethiopian and Coptics. We saw them, they were just outside in a little hut basically because they'd been thrown out of the building. Each group has their own section, their own little chapel and they're often doing their own services and they're bumping into each other and occasionally, an argument breaks out. It's so bad that much of the church is in disrepair because, well, who's going to take care of that? Who's going to buy that? Who's going to purchase this? Nobody. There are priceless works of art, I'm sure, that are in disrepair because nobody can get along. And on the outside of the entrance, as you're going in, if you look up, you'll see a ladder just outside of one of the windows does anyone know what that's called? It's called the movable ladder. Yeah, yeah, it's right there. Come on, people, wake up. Thank you, thank you. That's a good point. Well, it's been there. Listen to this. It's been there since the year 1727. You know why? Because no one can agree who should move it. No one can agree who it belongs to. No one can agree where it should go. Isn't that amazing? It is so bad these Christians can't get along that centuries ago they decided to give the keys to the church to a Muslim family. For centuries now, this family has been in charge of taking the key and going in the morning and opening the door and then coming back at night and closing up the church. So the person who holds the key to this holy place gets up, opens the door, and then goes and prays at the mosque next door. You can be close to the cross of Christ and somehow still miss him. How sad it would be. You could be in church all of your life. You could attend every service. You could be a greeter. You could lead a small group. You could be a nice person, and everybody thinks you're great, and yet never really know the full saving power of Jesus. Because you see, we have the power to reject truth. We have the power to hold on to our own darkness, our own sin. But this man shows us it is possible to be close and still be lost. And I want you to see this, don't miss this. There is no sense of universalism here. Listen, in other words, there's no sense that, well, everybody gets to heaven. That's not what this text tells us. The Bible paints this as a tragedy of eternal dimensions. But of course, then there's the other thief. He's initially joining in on the cursing. He saw everyone else doing it too, he joins in, but as he approaches death, he began to sense there was a big difference between himself and the one who was hanging on that middle cross. And as the hours passed, I think he began to say, you know, there's something different about him. In fact, if there was ever a change to occur in me, I would wanna be like that guy. There was something about Christ even as he hung there on the cross that spoke to him and caused him to think, he's what a human being ought to be. He's what I'm not. And so there came a point when he turned to his partner in crime and said, do you not fear God? Now, Of course, the guy on the left, God was the last thing that he was thinking about. He was not concerned about God. He was just consumed with spewing hatred. But the thief on the right has begun to think about God. Something about Jesus that led him to God. And that tells me something else. You know, I I don't think I can prove this, but I do believe that's the kind of God we have I believe that God has been waiting this man's entire life to get his attention. God has been waiting all this man's life for this moment. I think God said, I'll hang him there next to my son just so that he will have a chance to respond to my love. We have a God that will go to an extraordinary length to see a person he loves come to him. I was struck on, I think it was uh, Wednesday, we had a a beautiful service for Harry Deal funeral. Harry's dad was an alcoholic and Harry became an alcoholic too. He faced years of pain as a result and the truth is that pain impacted his family and it mm, was hard. Harry, however, real uh, because of that issue, ended up in jail more than once. But wouldn't you know it, it was in jail that a man named Bob Carpenter would come and visit him, and Bob would always be faithful to share the gospel. And there were times when Harry said, I don't want to hear it. But then there came a moment when Harry said, would you stay a little while longer? And tell me more and in one of those visits Harry said yes to Jesus and he received Christ now it was not all that simple it took years of course for Harry but he determined to give his life to Christ and help then others overcome addiction. And one of the things that I loved about that service is we heard before and after and during the service so many stories of the difference Harry had made in their lives because of what God did in his. This thief, we saw... Uh, him grow in respect and understanding of Jesus. And he, he thinks about this man who is hanging on the tree next to him and he becomes conscious then of his own sin. Did you notice that? We deserve this. He comes to this truth. And when you come to the truth about yourself, you have the opportunity, I believe, to come to the truth about God. And so he looks at Jesus and he says this amazing statement of faith. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. Now, we've probably read this story a thousand times, but we don't often realize how amazing a statement that is. John Calvin said this. He said, It may well be that in all the history of the human race, this is the most remarkable example of faith that anyone can ever find. Now think about that. This, is, this thief believes that Jesus has a kingdom. Now what evidence did he have? Jesus is dying on a cross, rejected by everybody, helped by no one. What kind of king? He has a crown. It's made of thorns. He has a purple robe, but it's been stripped from him and it's being divided up and stripped into pieces by the soldiers. His scepter is a broken reed. He had a title, the king of the Jews, but it's in letters crudely written above his head. That's what so many that moment saw. But this guy saw something regal about Jesus, something majestic about him, something glorious about him. And he said, if there is any person that I want to be with, then it's that person. If there is any kind of person I would like to be like, then he is the one. And if I've got to spend eternity anywhere, then I want to be where he is. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now notice the promise there. It isn't just about paradise. The promise is, you will be with me. So why is this guy here? I think one of the reasons we're told this story is to let us know how late it can be and a person still make it. You can you can know Christ and still make it to heaven no matter how late it is. He, he didn't have a chance to ever go to church. He never had to listen to one of my sermons. He never gave an offering. He never took communion. He was never even baptized. He didn't get a chance to give to the building fund. He never even had a chance to, to make amends for the crimes he committed And man, I want you to think about the good news in that. The good news is that God is telling us it is never too late and no one is ever too bad that they cannot be saved. That means that you and I can't give up on anybody. That we've got to keep hoping and keep trusting and keep praying. You better believe that you can invite that person to Easter service here. God is capable of reaching into their heart. Even while they're taking their last breath, God can do a miracle. But I think this cross also tells us something else. Now, to those of us who have been Christians a while, well, sometimes we can get a little offended by this idea. I mean, we went to church. We gave to the building fund. We sat through all those sermons. We joined the small group and volunteered in the nursery. But what this man points us to and helps us see so very clearly is that every person comes to Christ in the same way. Every one of us comes exactly like this thief hanging there on that cross. You see, there is nothing saving about what I can do whatever it is I do, it will not save me. Jesus Christ alone is the savior. And if there is any saving going on, it comes in a relationship with him. So it's not about what you do, it's about who you know. Salvation is never given because we earned it, or we did enough, or we went to church long enough. This man demonstrated one thing, faith in Christ and that's enough. We can do nothing but have faith in Christ. Are you with me? Sometimes I think it's easy after you've been a Christian for a while and you don't do the things that maybe you used to do and you look at these other people who aren't believers and they're doing what unbelievers do and we can feel kind of smug and secure in ourselves but Man, this cross reminds us, don't ever get to the place where you start putting your trust in anything you've ever done. That's not where salvation comes. Saving is in Christ alone. It doesn't matter when we come. We come by his grace and mercy and love. We come by faith and faith alone. And then there's this third cross. And for us, of course, it's the most significant. It's the one we glory in. This is a picture that no other religion offers, by the way. Now, religions down through the ages have always required sacrifice, but think about that. I defy you to find any religion of the world like ours, because to be religious in so many other cases is to give God a sacrifice. (laughs) <laughs> but what we have with the cross is a God who sacrifices himself for us. And he gives us himself. He gives us the only thing we need. We need him. And he came to give us one thing, and that was his life, himself. But there's more. Not only in this passage that do we see the picture of God giving himself, but we also see a man a human being. And you say, well, wait a minute here, pastor. He's not like us. He's not like me. And you're right. But Jesus is like what I'm supposed to be. Luke's version of the story has the soldier here declaring, certainly this man was righteous, was a righteous man. He become, he is all that I ought to be. Now you say, Pastor, wait a minute. (laughs) How can I be like him? He did miracles. Jesus healed diseases. Jesus calmed storms. Jesus raised the dead. Pastor, I'm not like him. I can't be like him. And I think about that, and I think about the fact that I am so, so far off. But let me remind you of something. Ephesians 5 says this, be imitators of God. Now, just hold on there. You come to a passage like that and you almost want to laugh. (laughs) Me, imitate God? Are you serious? God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. Man, I have difficulty leading a church of a couple of hundred people. God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. I can't remember my kids' birthdays and how old they are. God, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Some people will say about me, even when I'm here, he's out to lunch. He's somewhere else. How can I imitate God? Well, the text doesn't, of course, end there. It goes on to say this. Walk in love. Just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us and offering a sacrifice to God. You, you, do you see how I'm to imitate God? Jesus, the man, sacrificially gave himself up for the well-being of somebody other than himself. And we can give ourselves away for the benefit of others. And Jesus says to us, you can do that too. Be imitators of God. Now I think about it, bear with me, but let's go back and think about it. The disciples are called, and Jesus says, follow me, follow me. To follow him means we imitate him, we act like him. And the one thing the cross proves is that we are to be like him in the way that we give ourselves away in love for the benefit of others. Over the last few months, we've talked a lot about the apostle Peter and his ministry and life. When Peter was first called to be a disciple, you'll remember Jesus said, follow me. Jesus goes to the cross, and I think it's interesting that after the resurrection in John 21, we were there just a few weeks ago, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And three times Peter answers, Lord, you know that I love you. And after that, Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And Jesus says, Peter, by the way, you are going to be led around and go where you don't want to go. You are going to die for me. John says that Jesus was trying to to, to, to let Peter know. And, and Peter realizes this, but Jesus says, Follow me, follow me. And then Peter realizes, you mean, Lord, that I'm going to die for you? Peter then turns around and you remember what happens. He looks at John and he says, Well, what about him? And Jesus says, What is that to you? Follow me. gospel of Matthew, Jesus said these words, Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself, and we are to deny ourselves in the most fundamental way possible. We are to take up our cross and die. We're to die to ourselves and become like Jesus to others. Follow me. Of course, this is what happens. The evil one comes along and he plays a game. He puts this thought in our mind. You know, I I know I should do this. I I know I ought to do this. I know God wants me to do this. I, I know I need to do this. But here's the thing. I don't want to do this. I really just don't want to do it. Now hold on there. This is the crux of my message. Of course you don't want to do it. Carrying a cross is hard. It's unpleasant. Nobody wants to do it. What in the world does want have to do with it? I dare you to find anywhere in the Bible where it says, thou shalt do what you want us to do. It's not there. Listen, if you are serious about following Jesus Christ, then, well, I want to do it or I don't want to do it died a long time ago as the ultimate criteria for our decisions. About how you give, about how you serve, about how you help others. Listen, friends, if you are still allowing, I don't wanna do it to trump Jesus's call in your life to do it, then you might think that you are following Jesus, but I'm gonna tell you, you're not. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. I've laid my life down. It's all his, it's all gone. Listen, the only way we will ever experience resurrection power at North Olmsted Friends Church, the only way I will experience resurrection power in my life is to have to die first. And Jesus says, follow me. Some of you, you need to be baptized. Why? Because Jesus said, if you follow me, you're going to get Baptized. What are you waiting for? Let's do it. It's time to be obedient and follow him. Some of you need to start giving more than you've given. An offering. Maybe God's challenging you to tithe. Some of you need to step up in terms of serving and leading. You have gifts And in order for us to experience all the blessedness that we are to be to this community, it's gonna take all of us to give our gifts to help. But we are called to die to ourselves and become alive to God and a testimony to the world that he is good. Follow me. Because this is what happens. Jesus said to his disciples as he sent them out to preach in the towns and villages, if they receive you, they receive me. They receive the Father and the one who sent me. But if they reject you, they reject me and the Father who sent me. In other words, if somebody gets us, they ought to get God too. Jesus said, you are me to them. There is supposed to be something about my life that is so similar to his life, they'll hardly know the difference. Now I've got a long way to go. But that's who we are to become. So I ask you this question this morning. Are you willing to follow Christ? Are you willing to pick up your cross? Are you willing to do what he's called you to do? Maybe you need to say yes to his gift of salvation. Let's start there, repent of your sin, come to the reality of who you are and receive his grace and forgiveness. But maybe you just need to decide this morning, God, I want to be more like you. And I will do anything. Deny myself, take up my cross, and I choose to follow you with my whole heart. You see, there are two parts of salvation. We die to sin, but we must also die to ourselves. And Jesus says, Follow me. Where are you today? You willing to imitate God? If we have a, if we have a church that learns to imitate Jesus, uh, the world will be a different place. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what these crosses tell us about your love and mercy, your grace, and even this morning, Lord, every one of us is here, not by accident, but we have come to hear the Word of God. I pray your Holy Spirit has worked and that, Lord, you have helped us see those areas where we are called to follow you. May we be willing to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow you the rest of our lives. Thank you for the blood that was shed on our behalf so that, Lord, we could have this hope of resurrection. May this morning, even as we come together, may we experience that resurrection power as we say, Lord, I will follow you. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.